Well, last week we saw in 1 Kings chapter 12 how Jeroboam, who was the king of Israel, as soon as he was crowned king and took leadership of the northern part there of Israel, he began turning the people's hearts away from the Lord. He told them not to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship, even though God had said, that's where you go to worship. <clears throat> he said, hey, no need to go to Jerusalem. Just stay here. I'll, I'll build a spot for you here to worship. He set up golden calves for them to worship. Does that ring a bell from anything else earlier in Scripture? When Moses was up on the mountain getting the commandments from God, the people grew restless and they, went to, they turned to Aaron, and, and Aaron made that huge blunder in his life of letting them build a golden calf and, uh, and worship that is pagan worship. And so this is exactly what King Jeroboam is doing now in Israel. He's, he's set up idol worship. He's created his own religious festivals now. And <clears throat> what he's done in a nutshell is he has distorted the way that God has called his children to worship him. Jeroboam is saying, you don't have to do it God's way, you can do it our way. And again, you know, we looked last week at how often we even see that taking place today in our world. It's a very slippery slope. And so all of this pagan worship is now taking place in Israel, and as Jeroboam is busy doing that, he gets a huge wake-up call. In 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says this, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. In other words, he didn't just cook this up himself. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Verse 2, Then he, that's the man of God, cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, will be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice, watch this now, this is terrifying, on you, that's on these altars, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. Wow. And men's bones shall be burned on you. Verse 3, and he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken Surely the altar will split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. And when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him! Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, that's toward the, the prophet, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar was also split apart. And the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Verse 6, then the king said to the man of God, please entreat the Lord your God or please call out to the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. Well, there's a lot to take from that, but you know, the first thing that hits me is, isn't it amazing how people are very quick to go through life saying, I don't need God. I don't need him at all. Don't even believe in him, maybe. But boy, as soon as trouble hits, they cry out to God. 
Uh, I've always said that even atheists cry out, oh God, when their airplane is plummeting to the ground. Even atheists do. And so here we see Jeroboam, who, by the way, was not a, an absolute pagan. Uh, he knew the Lord. Uh, the Lord had been very gracious to him to give him his kingdom and to bless him, but it's all gone to his head now. He thinks it's all about him. He's trying to build his little kingdom. And as he stretches out his hand to the prophet to tell his men, get him, arrest him, his hand withers. It, it freezes in place. And now he's not such an arrogant guy. Now he says to the prophet, oh, please, please call out to the Lord and ask him to heal my hand. And you know what that tells me? Jeroboam knew that all of this worship stuff that he had cooked up, that he had put in place, was worthless. Because he needed to call out to a true prophet in order to have God move in his life. And so Jeroboam now must be thinking, boy, that, that was a close one. Um, I, I got to figure out some way now to get on the good side of this prophet so that maybe all the stuff he's prophesied won't come true and, and I can kind of ease my way out of this. And so he invites the prophet to his house for a meal and he promises to give him a reward. And that's in the, the following verses there. He says, come, come to my house, uh, you know, eat and drink and, and I'll give you a reward. In other words, he's trying to bribe the guy. He's trying to buy him off. But this prophet of God refuses to be bought. He, he tells Jeroboam, in fact, that the Lord had given him unusual instructions on this particular mission. God had said to this prophet, go and do this to Jeroboam, and on your way there and on your way back, do not eat or drink anything. Now, I don't know why God said that. doesn't matter, really. But God said that. And so now here's Jeroboam asking the prophet to come and do the very thing that God had told him not to do. Jeroboam didn't know that, but Satan did. And so he's being tempted to go and break the command that God had just given him. And the prophet says to, to Jeroboam, even if you were to give me half your possessions, I still wouldn't go with you. So he turns and the prophet goes on his way and we're told that this really bizarre thing happens. We've just seen this prophet now, and I don't want you to miss this, we've, we've just seen this prophet now faithfully obey God's commands and avoid temptation, but in the very next moment, we see this same prophet being deceived by a lie. And it should be a, a reminder for all of us folks that Satan never rests in his attempt to destroy God's children. That's why God's word warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, the, the Pike abbreviated translation on that is, don't be cocky. Don't get too arrogant and secure. You think you're doing great in life. Always be on your guard because it's very easy to have your legs knocked out from under you. Well, starting in verse 11 of chapter 13, we're told that now there was a second prophet. He's referred to as an old prophet, which I'm sure he's thrilled about, being recorded in history as the old prophet. But there was an old prophet living in this same town nearby, and he heard his sons came and told him all that this prophet of God had just done about Jeroboam's hand withering, about the altar splitting, about the prophecy that was made. And so we're told that this old prophet goes out and he gets on his donkey and he chases. He said, which way did he go? He chases down this younger prophet. 
He caught up with him, and just like Jeroboam had done, this old prophet invited this man of God to come home with him to eat and drink. And the man of God repeats exactly what he told Jeroboam earlier. And we don't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. We don't have time to read uh, all of these verses. But he repeated what he had told Jeroboam. He said, look, God sent me on this mission, and he gave me clear instructions. I don't know why. But he, but he told me, I'm not allowed to eat or drink anything on this mission. But now just watch how cunning Satan is. Verse 18. And he, that's the old prophet, he said to him, the younger prophet, I am also a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But the old prophet was lying to him. Verse 19. So he, the younger prophet, went back with the older prophet and ate bread in his house and drank water. And I just want to pause here and emphasize something. Not everyone who says they have a word from the Lord has a word from the Lord. Be careful. We need to pray for discernment. I'll never forget, years ago, there was a man who began visiting LifePoint, and he and I sat right back there one day before the service, and he told me how angels visit him all the time and give him revelations from God. Now my ears are wide open, because if that's true, I want to know about it. But I asked him one simple question. I said, wow, that's, that is amazing. And I kind of leaned in and I said, so I'm guessing that when these angels appear, you fall on the ground with your face on the floor, right? He said, oh no, we sit and talk and they give me revelation. I went, is that right? I said, because every time I see in the Bible an angel appears before a mortal man, he's shaking in his shoes and he's begging not to be killed. He's on the ground with his face in the dirt, out of reverence in the presence of the holiness of just an angel. Never mind God. And so I knew immediately, and no disrespect, he was on whatever journey he was on, but I knew immediately this guy was a fraud. He was not a man of God. He was not in touch with God. He was not encountering true angels. He was not getting true revelations from the Lord. There's so many people who are led astray from the truth, all because someone said to them, I have a word from the Lord. I've told you this before, and may I take this opportunity to tell you again, you hold me and anyone standing up here to the same standard. If you ever, ever hear me say anything, that is against the word of the Lord, you form a lynch mob before this service is over and you take care of it. Because I don't know that I'm going to stay on track the rest of my life. I don't know that. It's my desire. Satan's knocked me off course before. And so I'm just saying, when I get up here and, and open the scripture and say, this is from the Lord, double check it, okay? Double check it. Make sure it is. Don't just be spoon-fed by people. Check it out for yourself. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and boy, have they ever. This is why I'm so reluctant uh, to put titles on us here. Like lead pastor. Really? 
I want to be called the lead pastor, the head pastor, the bishop, the pontiff, the apostle. I think people have forgotten what the word pastor means. It means shepherd. And they were outcast in their day. They were dirty, smelly people who had dirty, smelly work. And that's what we are as pastors. We're not above you. We're leading. We're leading alongside you. We're walking together on this journey. And so be very careful when religious people start to sling titles around about themselves. Just be real, real careful of that. There's a lot of false prophets in the world, and we, we need to stay alert. Remember what Jesus said at the end? Of, I don't have verses for this, but it just came to mind. The end of um, Matthew chapter 7. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miraculous works? Jesus said, and then I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Be very careful. Let's not forget that the Bible tells us that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. He's not the guy with the red horns and the pitchfork. Get that out of your mind. He'll be the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful temptation you've ever seen. Do we know the difference between the truth and a lie? Are we like the bank tellers who go through training day after day after day, handling real money only, and then at some point in their training, uh, what do you call it? Counterfeit money. Uh, unbeknownst to them, counterfeit money is slipped in, and as they're going through it, they can immediately tell the difference because they've been handling the real thing for so long that when something fake comes along, even though it looks like the real thing, they can sense it, they can feel it instantly. We need to be the same way. No matter who claims to have a word from the Lord, no matter how many credentials they have, no matter how many letters they have after their name on their business card, the real test is verifying what they say against the word of God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Paul is writing to the church, by the way, believers. He says to them, I'm amazed that you are turning away so quickly from him who called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, listen, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. This is something we have got to keep our antennas up on. We ought to, be, we ought to know the truth so well that when we're in our car and we turn on a, a radio station and there's somebody preaching we haven't heard before, we ought to be able to know in 60 seconds whether this guy is really of the Lord or not. Well, sadly, we see this prophet of God standing firm one minute and being deceived the next. And he was a man of God, and he got deceived. And what happens to him as a result? Well, he finished eating and drinking, and the rest of the story unfolds in verses 23 to 32 there. But specifically, verse 24 says this, <clears throat> As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was left lying in the road. That last statement doesn't, I mean, it, maybe it means something to us, but in that day, leaving a body like that was the greatest 
form of disrespect and humiliation. And our reaction to that, when we hear that, we go, wait a second, whoa, whoa. He was a man of God. He was on a mission doing exactly what God told him to do. I mean, it wasn't his fault. He got lied to. Listen very carefully. Remember this. That prophet had already been given clear instructions by God of what to do and what not to do. And any departure from God's instructions is disobedience. Remember months ago we saw when the Ark was being brought, the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back to Jerusalem. They had it on a cart, which they weren't supposed to do. So already they've disobeyed the Lord. And oxen were pulling the cart, and it was coming back towards Jerusalem. And the, ox, uh, the oxen stumbled, the Bible tells us, and the ark began to fall. And a man named Uzzah sort of ran and dove and, and grabbed hold of the ark to catch it and keep it from falling to the ground. Seems like a noble thing to do. And what happened in that moment? God struck him dead. We look at that and go, well, this is some kind of sick, unfair God. It's not at all. Because what he was doing was he was disobeying the word of the Lord. Because God had already made it abundantly clear, no one is to touch the ark of God. No one. And if you do, you'll die. It's like there being a high voltage fence. And you're walking through a field towards this massive fence. And it's, you can just hear it. And, and you pass one sign, and it gives you a warning. Warning, electric fence ahead, do not touch. You pass another sign, warning, stay away from the fence. And you walk up, and you grab the fence with both hands, and you die, and, you, and, and your family gets all mad and says, well, that's not fair. Well, is it or isn't it? God warns us in his word about certain things. God has to do what he has said, or he's not God. Here's a quote I wanted to share with you. This came to mind this week. It is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. You let that stick with you. It's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. And so here's, here's the lesson. We are to follow God's commands, whether they make sense or not. Even if someone comes along and tells us something different, we're to follow God's commands until God says otherwise. Life point, can I just tell you something very simple? And I hope it'll be something that will resonate with you. As your pastor, I just want to say to you, listen, listen, just stick with what the Lord says. Just stick with what the Lord says and you'll be just fine. He's promised to lead you. He's promised to guide you. He's promised to provide for you and protect you. And every other path, every other deviation from that path is going to lead to trouble. Just stick with what he says. Be alert. Satan knows exactly how and where to attack you. Did you notice in this passage? I mentioned it briefly just a second ago. Satan, wasn't Satan just so happened to do this? Satan knowingly, deliberately, skillfully, intentionally, twice attacked this man in the exact area where God's word had told him to obey. God had said, don't eat or drink anything. And both of those temptations were 
trying to get him to eat and drink. The temptation wasn't go and blow all your money or get drunk, because that wouldn't have bothered that prophet. The temptation specifically came in the exact area where this prophet had been commanded to obey, and that's precisely what Satan does. He attacks what God's word has already told us. In fact, that's the very first lie Satan ever used to deceive mankind, and here we are back in Genesis again. It's just all the way through the Bible. Everything we see is somehow rooted in, in Genesis. Satan said to, the serpent said to Eve, the very first thing he said was, did God really say? Did God really say that, Eve? And he got Eve to question it, and then he got Eve to doubt it. Can I just give you one more bit of advice here in a very brief sentence? Don't doubt God's word. Write that down somewhere. Put it in the flyleaf of your Bible. Because here's what's going to happen, I promise you. You're going to be following the Lord. You're going to be going along great. And you're going to be reading your Bible one day. And you're going to hit something that is going to knock your wheels off. And Satan's going to come in in that moment and go, You really believe that? You understand how absurd that sounds? And you'll start going, eh, That does sound kind of crazy. Why would I believe that? Or Satan will say, oh, remember that thing you read a few books earlier? Well, that's a direct contradiction of this, isn't it? And Satan will come in and he will cause you to begin to doubt God's word. Listen, when you hit spots in the Bible, and you will, that you don't understand, places that, can I just say it, bother you and me, here's what you need to do. You need to pause and you need to say, God, I entrust this to you right now. It's over my head. I don't understand it. I may never understand it, but that will not change my love for you and my obedience to you. And you take that bit and you just leave it with God. And you say, God, if any point along the journey, you want to open my eyes to this, that's great. But if not, you are God and I'm not. And I trust you with this part that I don't understand. You start doubting God's word, folks. It will destroy you on the road to what God wanted to do with you and in you and through you and for you. Just like the lion came and destroyed this prophet on the road. You start to doubt God's word, it will ultimately destroy you on the road to what God wants to do in your life. Listen, prophets may even come to you and say, hey, you don't need to take the word of God seriously, man. Listen, it's a, it's a new day. Just drop that old stuff. That's your parents' stuff. Just drop that old stuff, man, and, and, and be more relevant. That's what people want today. But when people stop following God's word in order to become relevant and cool and relatable and hip, that's not a word anymore, is it? But all that stuff, somewhere down the road, a lion is going to come and eat them. You understand? Somewhere down the road, it's going to happen. And they'll never be, this is the part that breaks my heart, they'll never be what they could have been for God. That's the part that just lingers in the back of my mind. And I get this temptation, hmm, I wonder if I should go do this. That'd be fun. Nobody will know. 
hey, I've followed God a long time. I deserve this. Yeah, don't look at me like you don't know what, what I'm talking about, because you do. You'll have them before you get out of the parking lot, maybe, and I will too. And when we fall for those things, we will be shortcutting God's work in our life. That's a tragedy. It's not about me. It's about what God wants to do through me. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to cut God short of being able to do what he wants to do in me. So this man got devoured because he listened to another message that appeared to be coming from a prophet, but it was a lie. So now King Jeroboam has just seen all this incredible stuff that God has done right before his eyes. He's seen uh, the judgment fall on the altar and it's split in two and the ashes poured out. He's, he saw his hand wither and then be healed. He's, he's heard about what's happened to this prophet. But even after all that, look at the last two verses of chapter 13, verse 33. Even after this, underline those words, even after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. But again, he made priests from every class of people for the high places, whoever wished. He consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. Verse 34, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. How tragic. God had already blessed Jeroboam, and he wanted to bless him more. And I'm not just saying that. We saw that in the earlier chapter. God said, it's, it's my delight to give you this kingdom and to establish a kingdom for you just like I did for David. Jeroboam had all of that in his hand but his heart was focused on other things. Well, turn the page to chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says this, At that time, Jeroboam's son Abijah became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Now arise and disguise yourself so that they will not know that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah, now these are tricky names. One is Abijah, one is Ahijah. It's kind of like Bill and Phil. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there who said about me that I would be king over these people. That's what I was referring to earlier. Verse 3, and take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will become of the child. Okay, well, let's, let's hold on a second. What, what in the world's going on? Why is Jeroboam sending his wife to another city to inquire of the prophet there to seek the Lord to tell them what's going to happen to his son? Well, here's why. As I said a moment ago, Jeroboam knew in his heart that there was no true prophet in his town. With all the priests that he had ordained, with all the altars that he had built, with the golden calves he'd set up, with all the religious festivals he had put in place, he knew in his heart that it was all a big sham. There was not one person out of all the people he had set up in this religious process that he could go to to hear from God. Not one. And so when trouble came, all the religious stuff that he had set up was, was absolutely worthless. It couldn't help him at all. So he said to his wife, well, we, we got to go find a real prophet. But he tells her to disguise herself. And he does that because he's been condemned by God. And he knows that he's not going to get a word from the Lord. And so he says, look, you go 
disguise herself. Uh, I don't know what she did, maybe put on one of those old Richard Nixon masks that you see sometimes. Not sure, but she disguised herself and she went, went to the prophet for help. And he says, take a little bribe with you. You know, this guy, this guy. I can't stand these people who think they can buy everybody off. It's one of my pet peeves in life. I don't know why. It just, it just annoys me to see people that think they, they can buy everybody and they don't have to live by the consequences. Sorry, that has nothing to do with anything. That's just me talking to myself. So she says, go, go ask the real prophet. Now look at this, verse 4. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. You are to say such and such to her, because when she comes in, she will pretend to be another woman. Verse 6, So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. You get this? She was disguised. He was blind. You can't fool God. You understand? You can't fool God. Verse 7. He says to her, go, tell Jeroboam, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Because I exalted you. Oh, this breaks my heart. Because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Verse 10, therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is gone Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city will be eaten by dogs. And anyone who dies in the field will be eaten by the birds of the air, for the Lord has spoken. Verse 12, arise therefore, go to your own house, and when your feet enter the city, the child will die. And all Israel will mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one, now watch this, the only one of Jeroboam who will come to the grave because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Now we, we need to pause and go, wait, what? Am I reading this wrong? God's going to let this child die even though he's the only one in the house of Jeroboam who has anything good in him? See, God's judgment was about to fall on this family, and God looked at this family the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the, the heart. And God saw in this boy good. He saw good in him. Now, I know that none of us are good. That's not what this is talking about. But he saw his intentions, his desires were for God. He was the only one in his family. Hey, hello? Some of you, you may be the only person in your family who stands for God. And boy, Thanksgiving, Christmas dinners, 
uh, people get their digs in on you. Hey, still doing that Christian stuff? Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't back down. Don't give in. God sees. He sees. It's amazing. Out of this whole family, out of this man who did more evil in the sight of God than all those who came before him, there was still one boy in the midst of all that who said, oh, I want to live for God. Don't use your circumstances and surroundings and background and upbringing as an excuse to not follow God. It's not an excuse. It should be a stepping stone. So God looks, he sees good in this boy who was sick, and God said, I'm taking him home. Oh, that's tough. Oh. We so often have, have, a, have a skewed understanding of, of the things that God does. And we say, why did he die so young? Why did she have to die so young? And those are okay questions because we're human and we hurt and we grieve. When that happens to someone, listen, uh, uh, I was talking with my sister just before the service. Friends of ours we've known since the mission field in Australia just two days ago, their son died. Okay? It happens. It happens. It could very well be that God found something good in that person. And he says, I'm taking him, I'm taking her home right now to spare them from suffering and judgment that Satan's going to bring on them or that I'm going to bring on them or their family. I see good in them. I don't want them to suffer through this. I'm going to go ahead and take them home. Could be. I don't know. Could be. Well, sure enough, things happened exactly as God had said. Pick up quickly in verse 17 as we begin to wind this down. 1 Kings 14, 17. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed. Now she's leaving uh, the prophet's house. She arose and departed and came to Terza. And when she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And then the following verses go on to tell us that after a lifetime of disobeying God and squandering what was entrusted to him, tells us that Jeroboam died and was buried. And he had nothing to show for the life he lived but heartache and destruction. Someone once said, men often reach an old age with nothing to show for their life but their old age. And I wonder, what will you and I have to show for God when it is written about us and he died, and she died. Are you thinking about that now, while you're young, healthy? I close with these thoughts. Last week and today, we've seen the life of Jeroboam. God graciously offered a full, rich, blessed life to him. But Jeroboam chose instead to live for himself, to build up his kingdom instead of building up God's kingdom. And in our study through the Bible so far, we've already seen this over and over again in people's lives. And we've been cautioned about the danger of doing what Jeroboam has done. We've been told already, and it's here again today, that if we live for our own purposes, if we live to build up our own kingdom, it will all just disappear it won't last. Why? It's not because you're not smarter than the next guy or gal. It's not because you didn't work hard enough or spend enough hours at the office to build yourself a lasting legacy. No, no. Here's the, here's the fundamental reason why you and I will never find 
lasting satisfaction, peace, joy, fulfillment in the things of this world. Why? Because we were made to live for him. And every other, I'm not saying pursuits are wrong. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It's fine. God doesn't mind us having things. None of that is wrong. But it's our heart. It's our motive. It's, it's what we're lusting for. You understand? Lust just isn't about sex. I lust for Ferraris sometimes. And then I have to get myself back in line and go, okay, don't, you know, you're never going to have one, Phil. Just calm down. See, what is it that we are craving in this life? What is it that we most want people to remember about us when we're gone? That he was the CEO of some big hoity-toity corporation? Really? We were made to live for him. Let me, let me wind it down with this verse that should be really familiar to us at LifePoint. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You want your whole life in a nutshell? There it is right there. That's why I come back to that verse over and over again. Christ died for all, including you, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I'm so thankful as I was preparing this message over the last few weeks, I'm so thankful for LifePoint Church. I'm so thankful for a group of people who I know love the Lord and who long to live for him. You, you can't stay at this church very long if you're just playing games. You're just going to be really uncomfortable. This is a group of people who said, I'm done with just going to church. I'm done with just going through the motions. I want to understand what it means and what it looks like to actually live for Christ, to actually be the church in the world seven days a week. I'm so thankful for a group of people who love the Lord, who truly desire to live for him. Listen, folks, just like all the other people we've seen before, and just like Jeroboam now, you and I are also prone turning our hearts away from God. So, moment by moment, day by day, let's remember the life and the blessedness that God has promised to us through his Son. Count those things far more valuable than the possessions and the pursuits of this world. And let's pray constantly, Lord, fill me with you. Fill me with you. Remind me every day of your unfailing goodness and mercy to me. And keep my heart beating for your kingdom, for your purpose, for your glory. Let's pray that together as we leave this place today. And folks, I want to tell you, if you do that, and we will all stumble and fall along the way, and that's why we have each other. Because when you mess up, hopefully I can help you. When I mess up, hopefully you can help me. But if we live a life that way, saying, God, I want to live first and foremost for your kingdom, for your purpose, for your glory. If we live that way, listen to me. When life is over, it will be worth it all. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. 
Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.